Good morning. How y'all doing? Good, good, good. I'm excited to be here. Can't find my glasses. That's why I usually tie them around my neck. But anyway, uh, open your Bibles to to uh, Book of Acts. The Book of Acts, chapter one. You all know how to have rain here. I'll tell you that. Now, this is the soggiest place. And I'm sitting there thinking about that song, There Shall Be Showers of Blessings. And, and, and my mind and my prayer is, God, I want you to rain down on this church this day like you rained down yesterday on this land because I want you to soak us. I want to go out of here just ringing wet with the Spirit of God on my life. I want God just to pour out in me, on me, through me, and you get so so drenched by God that you're changed forevermore. Because you see, unless God does a work and unless God shows up, it does us no good to be in this place because it's all about Jesus and it's all about what He can do and what He does in our lives. Don't you want God's presence? Yes. Don't you want God's power? Mm. But if you're not prepared for His presence, you'll not know God's power. Now look what it says in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. When you are born again under the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you will be a witness. Witnessing is not something you do per se. It is something you are because of whose you are. And you will be witnesses in Madisonville. And everywhere you go, Now look what it says in Acts chapter 4, verses 31. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Don't you want to be in that type of prayer meeting? I don't like cold, boring, dead prayer meetings. Do you? They become organ recitals primarily. But I want to be in a place where when we pray, we touch the very hem of the garment of Almighty God. I want to be in a place where we pray, where we come together, and all of a sudden God starts shaking inside my life, and God starts shaking inside your life. Because when the New Testament church prayed, it says that a place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. Look over in Colossians chapter 1. And as you turn there, there was a pastor praying for his church. And he was praying that God would pour out in a mighty, reviving, atmosphere, spirit in his congregation. And he prayed for weeks and he prayed for months. And after months of agonizing in prayer, nothing much seemed to be different in his church. And somebody came to him and said, buddy, have you wasted your time? He said, oh, on the contrary. He said, God has done a work in my life. And God has begun to shake me. And God has begun to change me. And God has begun to work so in my life. Wilbur Smith, a dead man, long time ago, he wrote a book, The Glorious Revival under King Hezekiah. And in that book, he lists nine characteristics of genuine revival when God pours out on his people. And one of those is this. Each of these revivals begins in the heart of one of God's servants who became the instrument in God's hand to stir the sleeping conscience of God's people. Revival begins in the heart of one. Will you be that one. Revival is not dependent upon your brother, your sister, your mama, your daddy, your preacher. Revival is dependent upon you saying, here I am, God. Use me. Here I am, God. Spin me. Here I am, God. I'm your vessel. I'm yielded unto you. Will you be that one? Because it only takes one. 
And when that reviving of your heart begins to stir inside of you, it has an amazing way of touching other people's lives. You see, see, in the New Testament, revival starts when the fire of God fell upon the disciples there at Pentecost. And it says, and cloven tongues of fire came down upon those believers and they preached the gospel and thousands were saved because their hearts were set ablaze under the glory, under the kingdom, under the honor of God. And hear me, from man's perspective, revival is when God sets our hearts on fire. From God's perspective, revival is simply a divine visitation where He comes down and He takes up habitation in your life in a real way, in my life in a real way, and He begins to burn inside of us, but it's not dependent upon your environment. And you can work in the deadest, coldest, most wicked, vile place there is. And you as a believer, you can know the touch of God on your life. And you don't have to depend upon your wife to be revived. You don't have to depend upon anybody else to be revived. You can know revival in your life if you'll position yourself to catch the wind of God. If you will deal with a sin that may be in your life. If you will say, God, here I am. I surrender all. I lay my life there before your throne. Lord, use me. Spend me. Because God will visit any prepared heart. Now the Bible says in Acts chapter 5 verse 32, The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey Him. It doesn't matter if somebody else is not obeying God, are you? Because you see, you determine whether you will walk in obedience to the Father. You determine whether you will walk in obedience to the Word of God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 11 verse 13, the Holy Spirit is given to those who ask for His presence. And I know we get the Holy Spirit the moment we get saved, but hear me, every day as a child of God, you need to pray afresh for a feeling of God in your life. And you pray for the presence of God to manifest in your life. The Bible says in Mark, Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, that those who hunger and thirst for God will be filled. It doesn't matter if somebody beside you is not hungry. It doesn't matter if somebody beside you is not thirsty. You can be hungry and you can be thirsty for God all you want to if you just allow Him to be that source that satisfies you. You ever let anything else satisfy you? Yeah. See, see, we fill up on Twinkies and junk food and it doesn't help our appetite for the Word of God and for the things of God. And because we fill our lives up with so much stuff that's not, that's just really trivial, we don't have that appetite. We have to have an appetite for the things of God. And hear me, appetite is a good thing. Appetite is a sign of life. Because those who have appetite are people who are living. When you don't have appetite for the Word of God, that tells me you ain't living very good. It tells me you're dead. It tells me you need to be touched by the Father. How's your appetite for the things of God, for the very Word of God? Do you desire it? Do you hunger for it? Because appetite's a sign of life. And revival is when God moves into a person and God moves into a people and God moves into a church and God starts to pour himself out in our lives and God begins to minister convicting power of our sin and God begins to minister convicting power of his righteousness and God begins to minister convicting power of judgment and God begins to minister to your life and to my life his holiness and God begins to minister into your life and to my life a cleansing factor that only comes by the blood of Jesus Christ being applied and God begins to minister ministering to you and to me, this restoration. He ministers, my friends, His empowerment so that He can use us for His kingdom, His glory. When the wind blows of His Spirit, is your sail set to catch the wind of God? Because nobody can set your sail but you. I cannot preach you happy and you cannot be sung happy enough to catch the wind of God when it blows. That is your personal responsibility to get your life to where God, when He speaks, when He moves, you can hear Him. And when He whispers, you say, yes, Lord. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with 
all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and long suffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life you have a responsibility I have a responsibility that God would be so real in my life that God would so move in my life that I understand what is the fullness of the knowledge of God that I understand what it means to have the very power of God resting upon my life and working inside my life. But you as a child of God, you have to make that surrender. You have to make that choice where you will lay your life down. Because hear me, apart from God's power working in your life, you cannot live the Christian life. The Christian life is not just being a nice person. The theology of nice wears me out. I believe in being nice. But lost people, pagan people, cult people can be nice. There is more to it than being nice. You as a child of God, you are called and you are equipped and you are prepared by God that you have the very power of God residing in your life, residing on your life, living in your life. So here's my question. Do you personally know the power of God in your life? And if I needed somebody to get hold of heaven, and I said, I need somebody to intercede, could you in all humility say, Brother Mark, I'll do that. Or would you say, I'd like to do that, but you might ought to get somebody else. We need the power of God in our hearts and our lives. And we need to understand we can't live the Christian life apart from His power. He says there, that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You may walk worthy to the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every work, increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. God wants you to live in His will. How do you live in His will? You live in His Word. His Word is His will. And see, when you're taking in the Word of God, it works like a cleansing agent in your life because it can stop you in your tracks and it can speak to you and it can show you and it can teach you and it can rebuke you and it can encourage you. But you've got to live in the Word of God. See, see, you are to be filled with the knowledge of His will. God wants you to know His will more than anything else. Do you understand if you are a born-again child of God, 99 percent of the will of God is the same for every one of us. Now it's going to vary on who you marry. It's going to vary on your vocation. And it's going to have a variance in our giftedness. But the giftedness all points to the same Savior. But 99% of our God's will is the same for everybody. He's called, equipped us all to be witnesses. He has called, equipped us all to be stewards of the truth of God, to be stewards of our finances. We're all supposed to be tithers, guys, not just the old people. We're all supposed to be tithing and giving beyond. Why? Because we are showing forth who our trust is in, George or Jesus. See, see, we are to be stewards of our time. We are to give Him time. We are to be stewards, my friends, of truth, of, of, our, of, our, of, our, of our treasures, of time. We are to be stewards of our talents. We are to be incorporated, employed, what God has allowed us to, to be able to do for His glory, for His kingdom. God's will, 99%, it's the same for all of us. But the issue is to be filled with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I've got to be emptied of myself. And sometimes I get pretty full of myself. How about you? Don't lay men on my part now. See, 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 to be filled, I first have got to be emptied. 
And I've got to say, God, show me what I have to let go of. Show me what I have to release unto you. And and it says that you might walk worthy. You have one job in life just like me. And that one job is I'm supposed to make Jesus look good. How good are you at making Jesus look good in Walmart when the line's 15 people deep and they've only got one cash register open and you're in a hurry? Are you making Jesus look good? See, see, that's, that's it. We've got one job. God, I'm supposed to make you look good. I'm supposed to reflect you in all that I am. And then it says in verse 11, He will strengthen us with all might. Now, if He had said, I'm going to give you some might, that would have been an amazing statement. If He had said, I'm going to give you a little bit of might, that would have been a wonderful statement. But He said, I'm going to strengthen you with all might according to His glory. God says, I'm giving it to you. Are you receiving it? Are you still too full of now, one of these days, I'm going to drop kick this. I'll just tell you now. And I'm going to drop kick this. I'll tell you now. And this one right here is going to trip me, and I'm going to go right down there. Listen, God says, I want to fill you. I want to fill you with all might. Why? So you can live the Christian life. Now, now there's three kinds of people on earth. There's three kinds of people sitting in Grapevine Baptist Church right now. But you've got to understand, you cannot live the Christian life without the power of God. And that power is released by the Spirit of God that comes into your life. And in John 15 it says, without me you can do a little bit. Without me you can do something. What's it say? Without me you can do nothing. Big old goose egg. Without me, you can do nothing. We are utterly dependent upon the Spirit of God to infill us with His power, with His presence, so that we can just live as He would have us. But the first individual in this building right now and across this land is the person who has a self-directed life. Now, this person does everything based on self because they're not saved. And a self-directed life is a life where the Holy Spirit of God is not tabernacling, dwelling inside of that individual. And they navigate life where their only resource, self. Have you ever done that? We all were lost at one point, guys. You've got to be lost before you can be saved. And we all have lived this self-directed life at some point. See, we make decisions. Here's how we make decisions. This is good and this is bad. And as long as my good is weighing bigger than my bad, I'm going to go over here. Is that how God's called you to make a decision? No. But that's how a lot of church people want to make decisions. Based on good versus bad. And I'll be honest with you, I do that to a point where I just flesh it out. I I, I told Bear on the phone one time when he was talking to me about Grapevine Baptist Church, I said, Bear, there is no reason why Char and I should leave everything we've got and move to Grapevine Baptist Church. It does not logically make sense. But God said to. That's it. It don't make sense. See, see, but if you just go by saying the good and the bad, you're making decisions based on self. And guys, it's so easy to get in that pattern. It's so easy to start saying, oh, well, well, this is going to be beneficial, and this is going to be right, and this is going to be good. But, 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 but God says that's just a self-directed life. That's how the world is. I've never called you to live that way. So I, I flesh that stuff out. George Mueller, anybody heard of George Mueller? He said, I do to get my, he said, I, I try to get my life in a position where I have no will of my own. It's just to do what God wants. Whether it's stay, whether it's go, God, it's all about you. And that's what I want. I don't want a will of my own. I just want what he wants. And so there's a process. But there's the self-directed lifestyle. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's how you're living right now. And you say, well, I've been doing pretty good, preacher. It ain't over yet. Second thing is this. There's the Christ-directed lifestyle. Now, now flip back to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
And, and I have a hard time getting my arms around this verse in verse 16. It, it, it says, in the last line, it says, But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I'll be honest with you. There's days I don't feel like I've got the mind of Christ. You? There's a lot of days I don't feel like I... And see, I have a hard time getting my arms around the sovereignty of God. Though I know He's sovereign. I know He's on His throne. I know nothing's going to shake Him. But, but the Bible says that we as believers, born again by the Spirit of God, we have the mind of Christ. And therefore, when we have the mind of Christ, it says in Colossians 1, 9, we are filled with the knowledge of His will. God says, because I have given you my Son's mind, I have given you the ability to know the will of God. I've given you the ability to understand what God is working. And you may not understand it at the get-go, but in the long run, it makes a little more sense. He said, I am going to give you the ability to discern me, to know me. You don't have to stack the blocks, weighing it all out. What's good, what's bad. What you have to do is simply say, God, you're directing my life. I trust you. Even when it makes no sense, I trust you. Even when it hurts, I trust you. That's what he wants. And there's going to be times when church people don't understand why you have made a decision that you have made because it doesn't make sense. There's going to be times when your family won't understand why you're making a decision that you're making because it doesn't make sense. Why? Because they're stacking blocks. But when God speaks to you, it does not matter what your blocks say and how big your stack is. When God speaks to you, you have to obey God. Or you will be out of God's will. You will be in danger of God's discipline. And that's not a safe place you want to be. There was a man related a story to me several years ago. There was, a, there was this little church up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And, and all of a sudden at the invitation time, this man and his wife come to the altar and they get on the altar and, and they're praying and they surrender their life to be missionaries to a third world country. And the church erupts with praise unto God. And the man in the back says, what's going on? He said, you don't understand. This man and his wife, he is a medical doctor. He has been four years of college. He has been four years of medical school. He just finished a 14-year residency. That makes the man at least 40 years old. And he has surrendered to go to the mission field. He has a residency where he has studied intracranial reconstruction. And he's been offered million dollar signing bonuses. He's been offered contracts everywhere and he says, no, God has called me to go to operate in dirt floors Well, I'll never make a penny. Why? Because God said so. And the church erupted in praise. And that one man said, he's an idiot because he could have paid the salaries of 50 missionaries. Why is he wasting his life? He's not wasting his life. What doesn't make sense to you makes sense to Almighty God because God is directing him and God is leading him just like he'll lead your life my life but we've got to say yes God whatever you want wherever you want me to go so you're going to live self directed or you're going to live Christ directed and I'm talking about every decision we make you understand what I'm saying decisions God what is your perfect will See, see, we want God to help us out with the big stuff. But we think we can just slide on our own on the little stuff. But that's where we get messed up. And, and then there's a third category of people. And, and you find that in Corinthians chapter 3. It says, I and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strifing and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, I don't believe the Apostle Paul intended when he was anointed by God to write this part of the book of Corinthians, this letter, to that to be a category of Christians. But he's calling it like he sees it. There are people who are carnal, and that's not a good thing. But the carnal person, the carnal Christian is the person who has been saved, but they live as if Christ is not an impact in any decision they make. They live as if, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven when I die, 
Now, I get the right and the freedom to call the shots of my life however I want to live. And they're living a self-directed life, yet they say they are saved. And I hear these people saying, well, preacher, if I were to do what, what the Bible says, I just don't know how I can do it. And what it is, they're always doubting the Word of God. They're always positioning their own life to feed their flesh and not to feed their faith. And what happens is they're constantly controlled by fear. Fear is a terrible thing. But perfect love casts out all fear. But you've got to be abiding in a relationship with Christ that's real and meaningful and regular because fear is going to knock at your door every day. And fear is going to tempt you and going to seduce you and try to pull you back and try to make you figure it all out. Don't you love trying to figure it all out, guys? Don't you love it when you just got it all figured out? And then something changes. Somebody knocks the block out. Right? You know the Bible gives us a lesson on fear over in Numbers chapter 13. Y'all familiar with grasshopper theology? God told the children of Israel about the promised land. You know what he said? He said, I'm going to give you houses that you did not build. I'm going to give you orchards that you did not plant. I'm going to give you vineyards that you did not grow. I'm going to give you all this. I'm going to give you the promised land. And then he said, I want you to take 12 spies, take one leader from all the tribes of Israel, and I want you to go in and I want you to survey out the land. I want you to look at the land. I want you to come back and tell everybody how good this land is. And do you remember what they did? They came back carrying a bunch of grapes, and it was like a cluster of water melons. Can you imagine what it would be like to show up and say, honey, I bought a grape today. She said, a grape? Why did you just buy one grape? Honey, look at this grape. It's the size of a watermelon. That's what they carried. This is the bounty that God was promising his people. And they said, oh, look at the produce. Look at the land. Look at what's in there. But there's giants. You know, there's still giants in the land. There's still giants that want to intimidate us. There's still giants that want to confront us. There's still giants that want to challenge us. There's still giants that want to cause us to, 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 to stress and to fret and to worry. There's giants in the land. And, and Caleb and Joshua, they said, it doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how mean they look. It doesn't matter what they've got. We have the Word of God. We have the promises of God. We've got to obey. We've got to go when it doesn't make sense. We've got to trust Him. And here's what they said. But we are like grasshoppers in their side. You remember as a kid ever playing with grasshoppers? You remember catching them? A grasshopper can jump 40 times its body length. A grasshopper comes in three colors. They're green, they're sand, and they're brown. And as a kid when we would catch a grasshopper, you know what we did? Those big old legs, we'd grab each side of them, we'd spring them like a slinky and then we'd pluck them right you all never do that do you ever have a grass grasshopper spitting contest man y'all not from the hills i can tell you that if you've never done that so grasshoppers they blend in they're brown they're sand they're green Grasshoppers, they jump 40 times their, their body size because they're always running away. And grasshoppers don't eat grapes. And grasshoppers never know the sweetness of Almighty God. And we've got so many people who sit in churches week after week and they've got grasshopper theology because they want to blend in with the world around them. They've got grasshopper theology. They never stand up for Jesus Christ. They've got grasshopper theology. They've never tasted the sweetness of the Holy Spirit. They've never known what it means to have the unction of God flowing. They don't know what it means to be broken at the altar praying, God, just work. God, move. God, just fill me. And God does. we got all kinds of folks because they're carnal and they're still stacking blocks and they don't know the power of God on their life. So where do you fit? Are you a self-directed Christian? Or are you a Christ-directed Christian? I guess self-directed is a carnal. Are you just self-directed because you don't know Jesus? 
there's four things that you've got to understand to have the power of God in your life. This is not some great big revelation. Four basic things that you've got to get a handle on if you're to know God's power residing in your life. If you're to be an agent of revival, if you're to be an agent of God's moving in a, in a church, in a family, these four things. See, see, do you remember the day you got saved? I want you to go back and I want you to think about the day you got I'm not asking the day you got baptized because that is not salvation. I'm not asking the day you joined the church. That is not salvation. I'm not asking you if you signed your name on a card and you shook your head in agreement with a preacher. I'm asking, do you know the day you got on your knees before God and you asked Him to forgive you of your sin because you realize your lostness and your sinfulness? I'm asking you, do you understand how it was to be hell bound and knowing when you left that church house, if you died without Jesus, you were not going to make it to glory but you'd split hell wide up I'm asking you do you know when you got saved do you know when you got saved when you got born again and you remember what it was like when you made your way down to the altar and you got on your face and you may have been in your car driving you may have been somewhere out in the woods I don't know where it was but you found you somehow there was some type of an altar you constructed because when you bent your knee to the father and you bowed your heart and your head to God all of a sudden you started pouring out your, your life to him asking him to forgive you of your sin asking him to wash you and to cleanse you asking him to come in and save you and you knew something there was this transformation there was this grace exchange that took place because the grace of God flooded your life and he cleansed you and he washed you and he forgave gave you. He saved you. And you know what it is to be on your face on an altar weeping your way to glory. You know what it is for your soul to be wailing unto God. You know what it is for the hand of God to rest heavy upon you and you're just praying, oh God don't stop. Oh God, don't stop. And all of a sudden you've got this God consciousness in your life and where you're thinking about Jesus all the time and you're walking around and you're praying constantly all the time. Why? Because you've been saved and you've been filled with the Spirit. You understand what it means for God to move in your life. But then stuff happens. Have y'all lived long enough yet to realize there's stuff in life? And all of a sudden, stuff. And all of a sudden, there's a bitter root. Anybody ever struggle with bitterness? Or am I the only one? All of a sudden, there's lust in your heart. Anybody struggle with lust? Or am I the only one? All of a sudden, there's unforgiveness in your spirit. And we leave these things unchecked. And all of a sudden, we start getting hardened and indifferent. And we're not close. And we don't hear God. And we're not thinking about God. Because stuff. Any of y'all struggle with stuff? And stuff just, 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 just has this way of finding us. And so you, you start saying, God, I need you to clean me. Because, God, I got stuff. And, God, I just don't have stuff. I've got stains. And I need the Ajax version and that wool scrubber. Because I need your stains, God. Because when God forgives you, He forgives you. But when He cleanses you, He will take care of even the stains. But you come to the Father and you say, God, I've got to be clean. If you're to know the power of God in your life, that's the first thing you've got to understand is, God, I need to know your cleansing work in me. So what's He saying to you right now? What's that one stuff in your life? Because right now he's whispering it loudly in your ear. And you're saying, God, that's it. And I've got to be clean, God. You ever watch television and count how much customs going on? After a while, if we don't, it gets desensitized to it. You, know? you ever count how many sexual innuendos take place in a TV show? When you have babies, you start noticing all this again. 
You ever count how many homosexual characters are being fed into the line of the plot to where everybody thinks it's normal and acceptable? And we get desensitized to sin. And I was praying one day and God began to speak to my heart. And he said, Mark, you've got the helmet of salvation. He says, you've got the breastplate of righteousness. Your belt is girdle of truth. But you've got the wiles of the devil attacking you. And, and he showed me this picture in my mind. He said, the wiles of the devil, he said, it's like a lasso that the devil, every time I, I, I listen to this, every time I see this, it, it just wraps around my body, and I've still got the helmet of salvation. I've still got the breastplate of righteousness. I've still got the shield of faith. I've still got the girdle. I've still got the sword of the spirit. But this, this, this wile of the devil is wrapping, and I don't have the mobility now to swing the sword. That's what it, we get desensitized to sin. And our culture tells us we need to be. But they're wrong. It's because they are, we're supposed to be. L look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Listen to what this verse says. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Boy, isn't that an amen verse? God knows your name if you're his child. God knows those who are his. And the Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, what's iniquity? Well, that's all that stuff that's wrong. Yes, you're correct, but it's more than that. Iniquity is that stuff that we don't necessarily know if it's wrong or not. That's that gray stuff, isn't it? That's that questionable stuff. And so what he said, he said, you, you depart from everything that you don't know is absolutely of me. Because if not, it's iniquity. And then finish what it says. But in a great house, in the church, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver and also wood and earth and some to honor and some to dishonor. And if a man would purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Do you want to be a vessel, a vessel of honor or do you want to be a vessel of dishonor? I think every one of us, when we stand before Jesus, we don't want to say, well, I was a vessel of dishonor. No, we want to be a vessel of honor unto God, sanctified unto his purpose, sanctified unto every good work. And so what he is telling us is this, you and I as God's children, we've got to know the cleansing, we've got to know the purging, we've got to know the washing that comes from God. Now my dad's here today and he's on the third pew back, he's the white haired gentleman, he's five foot ten, he'll tell you. He don't look that tall to me, but anyway. You and mom were married 59 years before mom passed, is that right now? 58, they dated four years. Mom died eight years ago. Dad's a very independent, lives alone. But my mother, I can remember this as my children. I remember this as a kid, but my children, I saw it. They would go to my mom and granddad's house. And I can see my mother with the storm door open, with her hand on her hip, with that wash rag in her hand. Ladies, you know what a wash rag does to little boys, little girls? Yeah. And when my kids would come in, she would take them and she would wipe their face. I mean, the skin was just peeling back. And then they would take the hands. And she would take that wash rag and every finger, she would just grip it. And she would start to, because they were just grimy, dirty little kid hands. And she was, guys, that's what God does when he cleanses your life. 
He doesn't just give you a quick, here, sprinkle some water on you and everything's all right. He wants to clean you. You remember what it says in the book of Malachi? It says, who can endure the day of God's coming? Because he comes like a refiner's fire. He comes like a fuller soap. What he's saying is, when God moves in revival, when God moves upon his people, he comes as a cleansing agent. He comes to refine us as silver. He comes to purify us as gold. He comes to wash us like a fuller. Do you understand what the fuller did in the Bible times? The fuller was the man who sold material. And he would take this material and he would go out and he would dye it with berries and different things like that. And then he would take it down to the creek. And when he would take it to the creek, he would take rocks. And as he stretched out that material in the creek, he would take rocks and he would start to pound it on that material because he was trying to loosen up everything that was in it that was not clean, that should not be there. He would hire young boys to come and they would stop on that material as that cleansing water flowed upon it. And it was washing and it was cleansing. And when God comes and He says, I'm going to clean your life, don't think it's going to be something that you say, I enjoy this. He's going to come. He's going to shake you up because He's going to start stopping and He's going to start releasing that grit and that sin and that filth. And why? He needs to cleanse us. Woo! And it's worth it. Oh, my Jesus is so sweet. He's, he is, oh, he just, grow up. He comes to cleanse us, to make us vessels that are useful, vessels of honor, not dishonor. Do you want to be dishonorable to God? So here's it. If you want to know God's power, you have to be clean. And if you're not willing to get clean, don't go to the next point. So what's he whispering in your ear? Point number two, you have to have a passion for Jesus. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You have to have a passion for Christ. I know a lot of good people, Christian professing people, but they don't have a passion for Jesus. Well, you say, well, preacher, I just don't show my passion. Now, last week, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, there's this crazy ball game on called Tennessee and Kentucky. In our hotel room, we had one person that was blue and the rest of us were sadly blue. And there was passion being expressed, none wanting to. And you all were very gracious to me the next Sunday that you did not draw that to the attention of everybody here. But you are passionate about sports and ball teams, right? I mean, you all were even passionate yesterday when Tennessee got beat in overtime by LSU to put them further down into the pit. And my own daddy has told me that I've got to get rid of my orange stuff because it doesn't fit here in this county. See, we know passion. But do you know passion for Jesus? I'm not talking about being passionate about church work. Because there's a difference between church work and the work of the church. I'm not talking about being passionate about ministry. I'm talking about being passionate about Jesus. Because, you see, when you're passionate about something, you have to spend time in that situation with that person, giving time in the Word of God on your face before God. There's a passion, there's a desire, there's a want to, there's a hunger that's inside of you, and you want to, 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 to know it, and, and you want to talk, and you want to express it. There's passion. I don't know what time it is, but... All right, I got, I got 30 more minutes. In Mark chapter 3, flip back there real quick. Mark chapter 3. Here's Jesus in verse 14. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Right here in a nutshell tells us how you have passion See, see, he ordained 12. He's talking about calling of the 12 disciples that they should first off be with him. That's your first responsibility as a child of God is you are to spend time with Christ. Being before doing. You have to learn how to abide in Jesus Christ instead of taking care and doing a bunch of little activities. 
We can do all kinds of activities, but if we don't know how to be in Christ, to abide in Christ, it, it doesn't mean anything. We have to understand, I have to be in Christ. I have to abide in Christ. So Jesus, my first responsibility I want from you is you be with, spend time with me. And then he said, I want you to go out and preach, proclaim the word. I want you to evangelize. I want you to disciple. And then he said, I want you to go out and heal and cast out demons. I want you to minister in the area of your giftedness. But your first job before you do stuff is you learn to abide. You learn to be with Christ. That keeps him as your passion. And it's not about the activity. That's your passion. We've got a lot of folks that are passionate about the activity, but are not about the person. There's a preacher who was getting ready to preach. He'd been asked to preach at a black church. And he, he comes and he sits down. And he says, a little black lady sitting close by him. She said, white boy? And he wasn't a boy, but he went, white boy, are you the preacher? And he said, well, uh, yes, ma'am. Have you got the stuff? Well, I, I, I hope to preach the word of God. You better have the stuff because we're used to getting the stuff, white boy. Let me tell you what's going to happen today, white boy. She said, we're going to start it, and we're going to come out, and we're going to start praising our Jesus. We love him so, and we're going to sing praises to our God. And we're going to sing, and we're going to praise, and we're going to pray. And at some point, we're going to take up an offering. Do you bring an offering, white boy? Yes, ma'am, I did. And, said, and then we're going to sing some more, and then, then it's going to be time for you to preach. And you better preach this stuff, because we love it. She said, I'm so addicted to Jesus, I just can't get enough of it. So he moved from where he was up to the stage when the pastor came in. The pastor said, I see you saw and met sister so-and-so. He said, oh, yeah, I met her. He said, did, you t- did she tell you that she lost both of her teenage sons in a drive-by shooting? Did she tell you that her husband died tragically? Did she tell you that she is struggling with incurable, inoperable cancer? He said, no, all she told me was she was addicted to Jesus. Isn't that what you want the world to know about you? And I, I love Jesus. All this other stuff. And see, for God's power, it, it would be dangerous for God to release his power on somebody who doesn't have passion for him. So, so, so first thing you've got to say, God, clean me. God, give me more passion, more desire. And then the, the fourth thing he says is you've got to ask. you got to ask. You have not because you ask not. And when we read that book, verse in James, what that word ask means, it means you ask with specificity. Specifics. I pray 52 things every day for my wife. Specifics. So what are you asking God specifically? See, you've got to ask. I mean, can't you think of some things you need to ask for your kids specifically? Can't you think of some things you need to ask for, for your marriage specifically? How, how about things you can ask for your Man, I'm your preacher. There's a lot of things you can pray for me specifically. But, but see, you've got to ask, and you need God's power. But you say, God, I'm asking for your power. I'm asking for your wisdom and understanding. God, I, I've got to be clean. I've got to have passion. God, I'm asking. Are you asking? And then lastly, you've got to God-size it. Do they still supersize them? All right. We're going to God-size it. Hey, God... I want you to do the impossible. Not for me, but for your glory. I want you to show up and show off. I want you to do the impossible. Remember what the verse says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The Spirit of God is going to and fro over the whole earth looking for who he can show himself. You know the Holy Ghost is walking up this aisle right now looking in your face for who he can show himself strong. He's coming back down this aisle. For who he can show himself strong. He's going up this aisle 
for who he can show himself strong. And he's going down this aisle for who he can show himself strong. He's going up this aisle for who he can show himself not strong. He's going into the back cubbies. God for one thing that's just really big. What would you ask him to do? He said, I want to strengthen you with all might according to my glorious power. But you've got to ask. And you've got to be clean. And you've got to be passionate. Because the devil's got fiery darts. He's throwing it all out trying to stop us, trying to beat us down. So is the Holy Ghost speaking to you? Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Christ to come into your heart as your personal Savior. Maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, if I die tonight, I don't know that I know that I know for certain that I would go to heaven when I die, but I know I don't want to go to hell. Pray for me. That's you, would you please just make your way to an altar here to front? Maybe you are saved, but you're living a self-directed, a carnal life because you're just stacking the blocks. But you're not listening to God speak. And you're not making decisions based on the mind and the will of the Word of God. You can't live the Christian life without the power of God. You can be nice and sweet and that'll carry you just so far. But there's going to come a time where you're going to be desperate to know God's hand. Father, we bow before you this morning. And Lord, I just come to you asking that, Lord, that you would just move even right now with strong convicting power on our lives. And Father, for anyone here that's lost, God, that does not know you as their personal Savior, God, stir them, Father, by that conviction, that drawing of the Holy Spirit, that they would respond to you even now to be saved. Don't let them leave this place, God, unless they talk to me or, or Mike or someone else. And Lord, I pray, God, that you just work that saving work. Draw them by your Holy Spirit. And God, give them the courage to let go and to trust you right now. And Father, I pray for those who are here that God, they've got an issue, God. They've got stuff. And, and, and Lord, it, it's, been a, it's been a hindrance to them. It's, it's harming them. Father, they've allowed it to go on, God. And they don't know how to, how to release it, God. Pray, Father, right now that you show them how to come right now and, and, and confess it, forsake it. And God, let you work to clean their life, God, to make them clean and useful unto them. And God, I just ask you. Let us be excited about Jesus. God, we're asking do the impossible in our lives with our lives. Tear down walls, remove mountains, destroy giants. But God, all for your glory. But obey, Father. Let us obey what you're saying. With your head bowed and eyes closed, the altar's open. What's God saying to your heart?